Hello and welcome to another episode of Side Control Synopsis. It's just me this time. And, well, UFC 262 just happened. We're just going to get right into it. It happened in the Toyota Center in Houston, Texas. In front of a crowd again after the last event. And... Well, the crowd was decent, I'd say. I think this this is a better crowd than the one in Jacksonville, I think. Probably because there was no Jake Paul. I think that really helped them. But, yeah, again, you will have the stereotypical thirst for stand-up because that's what a lot of them were saying in a few of those fights. So, let's get on with the first fight of the show on the main card which was against Edson Barboza and Shane Burgos in the featherweight division. This was, I think, the third fight for Barboza in the featherweight division. First was a loss to Dan Ige. He then had a win, and then this one. This was an interesting fight because I think Shane Burgos is the guy everyone is looking for in terms of the guy who's going to propel himself into the upper echelon. But of course, you can't look past someone like Edson Barbosa, who is so lethal with the strikes. And Shane Burgos is similar in that way, that he is tough as nails. He's going to keep coming at you. And this fight was set to be fireworks. And of course, that doesn't guarantee it. But, you know, the, the stylistically, it was going to be a very good fight. The first round, I mean, as... As expected, beautiful in, in terms of the offense. Because Schoenbergos just kept coming at Edson Barboza. And Barboza was so quick with his movement. His kicks were so quick. His leg kicks, again. That's what was crucial. And I think he was asked a question prior to the fight. About the leg kicks. After what happened, unfortunately, to Chris Weidman. And he said, no, it's part of the game. And, well, he did not shy away. He was swinging. And, my God, it seemed like that fight was going to end in the first round because of those kicks. It was brutal. They were landing flush. And I think that is something that Shane Burgos needs to kind of work on on his defense. Because as tough as he is, these strikes compound in terms of movement, in terms of durability. Fortunately, his movement wasn't too compromised in the fight. I think he seemed all right. And he kept coming at Edson. The first round did go to Barbosa, I'd say. The second round was more balanced because he was getting the better combinations. Even though there was a one combination from Barbosa, which was lethal. And the left hook to the body and to the, to the head. It was beautiful. And... Yeah, Edson Barboza looked to be comfortable. And I think he had his shin split open. So that was bleeding after the second round or during the second round. And I think you could have argued that that was two rounds to Barboza, But I think you could also argue that it was 1-1. Because Burgos really brought it to him in that second round. The third is where the finish came. Because Barboza is... So quick with the strikes. And Burgos was not quite defending too well. And I think the speed of Barbosa really showed in this fight. 
and he caught him with a right hook of sorts, a right overhand, and you could just see. Actually, you couldn't see that. That's the important thing. That Burgos took that strike and he just went back to his fighting stance. He's bobbing around. A few seconds later, he takes a step back, another step back. He stumbles, head to the cage, down. He's out after a delay of like four or five seconds. That was. It was unbelievable to watch because I've never seen that. I don't think anyone has seen that. Because yes, you have delayed reactions of, you know, hits to the liver and stuff. But to the head, that was quite odd. I mean, that just shows that he was ready to keep going. He is one tough dude. He was ready to keep going, coming at Edson. But his body just shut down. And yeah, that was it for Barboza, who picked up an incredible win considering the fact that this is a new division for him. Relatively, he's doing well. An important win against a very dangerous fighter. For Burgos, you could tell that, you know, he already had a loss before coming into this one. And, yeah, this one was a heavy one for him because he was doing well. He potentially could have won the fight. And you could tell that he just wanted to keep going. But, you know, that's how it works. He just fell down and he was out. There was a there's a backstage uh, footage that has come out of them, you know, meeting, and you could tell how emotional Burgo says after the after the loss, and Edson is a gentleman in just letting him know that he was incredible and the fight could have gone either way, and it really could have. So, props to Edson, great performance, and that was an incredible fight to watch, especially the first round. Like, People were wondering what they would get because the expectations were so high. They delivered and more. Amazing fight. Next up was the women's flyweight division fight between Vivian Araujo and Caitlin Chikagin. Caitlin Chikagin, um, I think she's been in this division for a while now. I think it's been two to three years that she's been in the flyweight division. She has found her place here. She's comfortable. Um, she had that loss to Valentina Shevchenko around last year. And yeah, this was her coming back into it. She had a win against Shevchenko's sister, which is Antonina Shevchenko. She lost to Jessica Andrade. And her last fight was against Cynthia Calvillo, where she was able to maintain her distance because she's so tall that she could, you know, use her range to just maintain distance and pick up the win and that's what happened in the last fight and you would expect more of the same here because of uh, the reach advantage she had against Viviana Araujo and Araujo did really well especially going into that second round where she had that massive takedown and she was competitive and yeah it was a good fight but for Chikagan, she did what she's really good at, which is maintaining distance, getting her strikes in. She was crisp with them. She was she was really good. And Vivian Aruja could never really get anything going in stand-up because of the reach. She was trying to get in there, but it was so tough for her to really get momentum going and get those strikes, uh, you know, chained up. But, yeah, a quality win for Chikagan. I don't know where she goes from here because uh, 
Valentina is not it. Because let's be honest, Valentina is really on another stratosphere. It's it's just not a fair competition when it comes to anyone with uh, Valentina. But yeah, good win for her. And let's see what she does next. And again, this is what her pattern has become. She's really good at maintaining distance and controlling that area of the game. So, yeah, I don't think that really works against someone like Valentina. But we'll see. We'll see what happens there. Tough loss for Araujo. I think she did really well, especially in the second round. And, yeah, I just it was a stylistically tough matchup. The next fight was a catchweight at 137-pound fight between Rogeria Bontorin versus Machnell. Now, Bontorin had taken this fight on short notice, um, and he did not even make weight. He, he So he just, he was given the hour, but he was like, there's no point. He's not going to make it, so he didn't. So, yeah, he was coming into this after a loss to Kaikara France, which was... Uh, that was a good fight that happened on the prelims as far as I'm aware of UFC 259 and yeah this was a quick turnaround for him relatively because it was March that he fought last and yeah he did not make weight I think he said he was that's what Megan Levy pointed out shout out to the entire uh, commentary and broadcast uh, crew over there because Joe Rogan yeah, agreed that some of his commentary does kind of sway in terms of, like in this fight, he was the one asking for, you know, more of a standard, more of an entertaining fight. But uh, anyways, moving on, uh, Megan Levy, John Anik, Daniel Cormier, Joe Rogan, they're all, they all create this atmosphere of fun to the event. So shout out to all of them. Uh, yeah, she pointed out that, as, as as far as I remember, the show just happened. But from what I remember, that Bontorin came in, like he was 165 pounds when he started cutting, which is mad if you think about it, because he had to cut down to 135. Um, but fair play to him, he managed it. And yeah, this was an interesting fight because, well... Matt Schnell was quite evidently not of the same size as Bonterin. That was quite a big difference, even though Bonterin is a, he's quite a stocky fighter. And while they were throwing hell for leather at times, they were really going for it. Those, the strikes were powerful, but there were clear lulls in the fight. And that's clearly a game plan of Bonterin because he really needed to keep that energy going because he's taken this fight on short notice it was a tough weight cut and Machnell really did not take the fight to him where he should have because uh, I think they did point out that there was going to be a clear energy difference between the two because of the situation that Bontorin had but Schnell didn't really make much of it he tried to get those leg kicks in he tried to work uh with the body strikes but it really didn't work for him because again he put it out to his corner man that he's lulling him to sleep and he he apparently did the third round is where 
there was a huge flurry from Bonterin where he was able to hit some really good strikes, uh, almost knocking out Marchnell. That didn't really happen, but yeah, for, that was it was an academic fight for the most part. Schnell did get around, I'd say, but yeah, th- you could tell that the fight's gonna go the way of Bonterin, who picked up the win. Uh, not much to add there because that was a good win for Bonterin. To let's see where he goes from here. And Marchnell really didn't do much especially in the later rounds when he must have had the advantage in terms of energy but yeah I think he also had a strong showing in there because he really tried to get something going but it was a weird stylistic thing where you didn't really see much from Schnell but that's again that's not really true because he was trying to work but it was such an efficient performance from someone like Bonterin that it may have seemed that way. But again, good performance from both fighters, but Bonterin was the one who picked up the win. Next up was the co-main event between Benil Dariush and Tony Ferguson. This was a, an interesting fight because, first of all, let's put some respect on Benil Dariush's name. What a run he has had uh, recently in, in, the, in the division with a win against Thiago Moises. Drew Dober, who is very good, but yeah, he's had some tough losses as well. Uh, Frank Camacho, Drakkar Close, Scott Holtzman, Carlos Diego Ferreira, and Tony Ferguson now. That's that's quite a lineup for him. Uh, those are some consecutive wins there. This fight, everyone wanted Tony to make that bounce back after the loss to Justin Gaethje and Charles Oliveira. And again, I think he did look in a better in a better shape and in a better headspace. I think you could say that from his demeanor and he's he's always gonna be quirky in in press conferences and in his demeanor. But yeah, you could kinda of tell that he may be in a better space coming out of this fight. And what we saw was how good Benil Dariush is again, he's a jujitsu. Like he's he's incredible at jiu-jitsu. He's won the World No Gi Jiu-Jitsu Championships, and just incredible. But here's the problem in this fight: Tony Ferguson really didn't look like he had a shot at winning. There was no part of the fight where he looked to be in control or have any say in the goings on in the fight. He again has those eccentric movements, his eccentric style of fighting. But it really doesn't work when your opponent is so sound fundamentally in what he does. And that's what happened really. Because in the first round you could see Benil Darius just take him down and hold him there. The crowd is again booing because of how quote-unquote boring the fight is but it was such an important win certainly the biggest win in Benil Darius's career just solid that second round where he cinched in that heel hook and I think that was for the first time where I've seen like true pain and agony on Tony Ferguson's face he still didn't tap 
uh, after the fight, Benil Darius did say that he heard a pop, which is ominous. But there were moments where you could see Tony Ferguson not allowing Darius to, you know, pass guard as quickly or as easily. And there were times where he was able to roll out, get in better positions. Uh, and then you you saw the same thing that he did against uh, Charles Oliveira, which is using the inverting tactics to defend takedowns, to defend the, the ground position. And it looks fine, but you could tell it's a bit... You know, it's not fundamental. And a guy who's so sure of what he does, and he's so well-versed with that skill... He was able to pick Tony apart. And this loss was a heavy one for Tony because now you really think about where he's going. He didn't look to be out of it. He didn't look like someone like Tyron Woodley who, again, had such an incredible career. But you could tell in his last few fights that it's it's time. And you still can't say that about Tony. I think you could just say that his style has been figured out. And there are fighters who are so fundamentally sound now that that style doesn't work, that toughness isn't really enough. Because make no mistake, when it comes to toughness, how do you get past Tony Ferguson? He would rather you snap his arm off than him tapping. Just incredible in terms of toughness and in terms of ingenuity and trying to get things going. But it's not enough. It's not enough anymore. And when you look at who his opponents could be, I'll get, it, I'll get into this near the end of the podcast where I'll talk about how I see this lightweight division going because it's one of the best divisions in the world right now, if not the best. And where does he stack up amongst those people? Because those are three heavy losses where it really seemed like he had no, no chance. Even the standoff fight against Justin Gaethje, he got demolished. The fight against Charles Oliveira, where he was able to show really not a lot. And Oliveira was able to show both his stand-up and his ground game. And in this fight, it was just total domination from Darius and great win for him. But... Tony Ferguson is now at a precipice of like what happens now. And I think there's there are a couple of fights for him. There are no easy fights at all in this division. Make no mistake. There is no way he can get against the contenders now amongst them unless he gets a win against someone who might be going through a similar trajectory as him. Or not as bad though, but there's there are signs and I get that. Next up is the big one, the fight between Charles Oliveira and Michael Chandler, two guys who have had such different paths to the title. Um, taking nothing away from Michael Chandler because he has ruled over Bellator, had some great fights there. He's shown how tough he can be. If you remember the fight against. Uh, Brent Primus, where he had that injury, but he still tried to keep going. He knocked uh, Primus down with the leg injury. Um, and, and then he came back to retain the championship. He's really good. Everyone knew he is excellent in what he does. 
He came into the UFC, had a fight against Dan Hooker. I think he was aware that uh, his image in in the eyes of the UFC fans may be a little uh, foggy, considering the fact that people don't really know him and he's getting these big opportunities. And it kind of felt like things are being handed to him. But make no mistake, that's far from the truth. He had a, a fantastic showing, albeit a short one against Dan Hooker. He was able to you know, change his stance against him, get the left shot, and he knocked him out in the first round. And again, a great post-fight promo, and you could tell his stock's really high after that one. Charles Oliveira, on the other hand, about as tough as it can get. I mean, he, I, as far as I'm aware from what Shaheen Al-Shati has said on Twitter, he has just won 10 of his first 19 UFC fights. He has had a winding road with losses and wins. And 2018 onwards, he started to pick up those consistent wins against Clay Guida, Kiagos, Jim Miller. Again, this is not the Jim Miller that we know. I mean, Jim Miller. Um, David Tamor, uh, Nick Lenz, Jared Gordon, Kevin Lee was the big one. And again, in every fight, you could sh- you could see the improvement. You could tell he's learning, he's learning and growing as a fighter. And he's well-versed on the feet and on the ground. He was able to, again, take the fight both ways to Kevin Lee and picked up the win. The next one was Tony Ferguson. Again, comprehensive. Almost had that debilitating arm wrench, arm bar. Where he, almost, where he almost snapped it. Speaking of, in the prelims of this event, just a little uh, segue, there was a terrible arm break of uh, Jacare Souza. That just looked painful. And yeah, it just goes to show what MMA is about in terms of it's, it's for the young ones. Your time goes. And going from such a dominant fighter to back to, I think, what, that's six losses in eight. And, yeah, a brutal, brutal injury now uh, at the age of 41. Uh, yeah, time will show where he lays up, but what an incredible career he's had. Back to this fight. Uh, Charles Oliveira has had a winding path, but he has grown with each setback and each progression. He's just looked great in his last few fights. And it was time. It was time for him to go up against Michael Chandler, who everyone said, well, that's quite premature that he's getting this opportunity. But his resume is good enough. He has dominated in Bellator. So fair enough. This was going to be an interesting fight stylistically because both of them just go at it both of them don't back down and it was going to be the matter of who's going to be able to take the fight to the other and not make any mistakes because there was really no room for error and the first round well it started off incredible i mean this fight albeit a short one, was complete. It gave you everything. It showed you how well-versed both fighters are in both categories. 
because immediately you saw Michael Chandler hit those huge strikes and it cut Oliveira open and he really had to go for the takedown. And that's where Chandler was able to cinch in the guillotine. And it was it was a it was a deep one, but he was able to uh, Oliveira that is was able to slide out and immediately take the back of Michael Chandler. And that's where people were questioning the decision making of Chandler. Why would he let someone take the back like that? But I, again, credit to Oliveira for just smoothly moving and taking the back. Uh, there was a bit of a skirmish, but. Great moves from Chandler to avoid the submission, not get, uh, not getting tapped out there, and he was able to slide out, and they were back on their feet. That was a great sequence for Oliveira, and it showed how good defensively Chandler can be. On the feet again, those brutally powerful strikes from Michael Chandler rocked uh, Oliveira again. He again went in that takedown stance but yeah he was rocked worse and the strike started to rain and you could you could have seen the fight being stopped there it was so close but Oliveira was able to turn and just accept guard and that's where Chandler was able to take control uh, as, as a top guard and just rain and strikes on the ground and pound but yeah, he looked great in the first round. You could see both fighters, you know, showing aspects of submission offense and uh, and stand-up. Maybe not as much stand-up from Oliveira in the first round. In the second, though, the fight didn't last very long. You could see Chandler going for that body shot and I think in terms of going back, you know, out of the pocket. He wasn't quick enough, and that's where the left hook came in. It rocked Chandler, and this is what is so great about the Bronx. He is so calculated with every move. His strikes were immaculate. They were perfect. They were landing right on the spot. There was this almost running away from Chandler, where he was trying to maintain distance and gather his bearings. Oliveira chased him down, landed another hook, and that was it. And wow, what a moment that was. Because Habib ruled the division with an iron fist. And he then relinquished the title. And whoever was going to become the next champion was going to be a big moment. It was going to be almost like a passing of the torch. And... Immediately he jumps from the cage and he goes out to the to the commentary section and he go, tells Joe Rogan, surprise, surprise. I don't think there was too much of a surprise in there. We all know how incredible Charles Oliveira is on his feet and on the ground. He has learned so much from his, you know, from his setbacks, from his growth. It's all amazing. His journey is amazing. And... It was such an incredible moment where he's just going around the crowd and just ecstatic. You could tell how genuine that emotion was. Michael Chandler is obviously dejected, resting against the cage. And a classy show of respect from Oliveira to uh, 
Chandler and the outpouring of emotion when the belt was handed and Bruce Buffer announced him as the champion. And yeah, amazing, amazing, amazing performance from Charles Oliveira. Michael Chandler looked great as well. The first round, he looked great on, on the ground, ground and pound. He was able to avoid the submission. Uh, his power was just there to see. It's hard, it's hard to get a better run. And just, you know, I, I he said in the post-fight press conference, he zigged in where he should have zagged. And that's what the sport is about. It's those little, little things that just you have to take care of. And that's how fragile the sport can be from injuries that can be career-ending to just little moments where your journey to, you know, the top can just be over just like that. But this is not the end for Michael Chandler. He's definitely going to be back. He's going to be, as he said, he's going to be in the championship, uh, you know, running, and he'll be holding the belt in 12 months, as he says. And it's hard to doubt him. The fight looked great. So, yeah, this division right now is incredibly fiery. So many good fights, so many good fighters. And here's something that can work. Now, this is fantasy booking at its, you know, at its peak. And not in terms of quality, <laughs> not at all, but, you know, this is fantasy booking. So, I'm just going to. Rattle out a few ideas. Dariush had an incredible win against Tony Ferguson. That was comprehensive, dominant. Another man who has had dominant wins in his career. Last one over Drew Dober, who Dariush has beaten, is Islam Mahashev. So maybe that fight works. Islam Mahashev versus Dariush. That would be fun to watch, for sure. You have Poirier Connor coming up. And assuming Poirier wins, which of course is not nearly as, you know, apparent as it seems. But uh, assuming that's the case, Connor needs an opponent who, well, has had a few losses and someone he can beat. And again, he faces a similar situation where it seems like times have passed him by. And another loss would just kind of nail that in. And another opponent who is going through the similar thing, as I mentioned before, is Tony Ferguson. So maybe you could do Karnov versus Tony Ferguson. Who knows? If Poirier wins, again, there's no, you know, two ways about it. He should face Charles Oliveira for the championship. And yeah, that would be incredible to watch. Chandler, I think you put him up against Justin Gaethje. They'll both swing for the fences. And that would be a fun fight to watch. But yeah, again, that would be a really tough fight for Chandler. And... I think he'll take, take take some time off, perhaps, before coming back into it. And Gaethje's just chomping at the bit to come back into it. So, perhaps this is wishful thinking, and we'll see where this goes. Overall, what a card in terms of the main and uh, the show opener, in terms of entertainment value. The middle, some of it was quite comprehensive and tactical. I don't think... Darius would care about the booze he got for his performance. But yeah, that, what an important win for so many people. What a moment for De Bronx, Charles Oliveira. Just looked amazing. And just showed that he can do it on his on the ground and on, on the feet. So 
great, great, great main event. What a moment for Charles Oliveira. This is his division now. There's no, you know, missing weight. Again, he's thinking of going back to featherweight, apparently, which is interesting. But, yeah, that was a good show. Uh... There's no Nathan here to talk about the Mackenzie Dern Award. If I had to give the award to someone, uh, again, it has to be Charles Oliveira. Just, just incredible. The way he can just take anyone out. It's just mind-blowing. Yeah, that's that should be all. Uh, if you want to check us out, you can check us out on Spotify, iTunes, very, very good podcast. You can check out our YouTube channel now. Which, where I just post content every now and then about the UFC, basketball, NBA. UFC will come soon. Uh, MMA will come soon. And movies and all that stuff. You can check out our website, theconventionalline.com, for articles and more. Um, yeah, thank you all for tuning in. Hopefully, this was entertaining and comprehensive. And, well, not really comprehensive. I just watched the show and I thought I'd talk about it. Uh, Yeah, thank you for tuning in and I'll be back soon. Bye.